One other announcement that I forgot. There are directories on the back table, and then we have some material from Assure. Chris had forgotten it last week, so she dropped it off in the middle of the week. So there's things back there if you'd like to, to look at those. But I am glad to see all of your smiling faces this morning. The warmer weather can tend to bring out some of that happiness in our lives. And as I was preparing for this week, I had just a couple of thoughts that ran through my mind that I wanted to convey in my opening here. The first is for whoever needs to hear it, Valentine's Day is less than 10 days away. So you've been warned. Secondly, do you ever ponder what a joy it is to be able to come on a Sunday and worship God? You know, with both of these things, I thought how oftentimes we tend to wait for invitations. You know, you think about celebrating Valentine's Day. Some people don't necessarily like to do that because of it being so commercialized and prices go up on everything and it's expensive. And I agree. But I would also say that we don't necessarily need a special day to celebrate the love that we have for each other. Do it while it's still called today. So you have an invitation every day to love your spouse, your children, your parents. In the same way, we have an invitation from the Father to worship him every day. Sundays just happen to be a little bit more intentional as we go through understanding of the Sabbath, just like our holidays, uh, such as Valentine's Day or things like that. You know, sometimes with these big events, we tend to just focus on those and forget to do the small things each and every day, the joys that we have in life. And as we forget to do them, we sometimes can go down some bad paths. We can go in some wrong directions and find ourselves not walking in the ways that the Lord would have us walk. And this morning, I want to share with you an old story that I think could perhaps be a little bit more impactful than the actual sermon. It goes like this. There was a member of the church who had regularly attended services. He was very faithful in that. And then all of a sudden, he stopped going. After a while, the pastor decided to pay him a visit. It was a chilly evening. And the pastor found the man home alone, sitting before a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for the pastor's visit, the man welcomed him in and showed him to a comfortable seat right next to the fire. The pastor made himself at home, but said nothing. In the grave silence, he just sat there and watched the flames dance on the hot logs. After a period of time, he took the fire tongs and he grabbed a burning ember and placed it on the hearth. The man sat there and he watched the burning ember blaze brightly for a little bit, then slowly begin to dim, eventually growing cold. The fire was put out. Not a single word had been spoken through the entire visit, except for that initial greeting. And the pastor glanced at his watch, realized it was time for him to leave. So he stood up and he carefully picked up the ember and put it back in the middle of the logs. The ember once again took off, burning brightly with the warmth of the coals around it. 
As the pastor reached the door to leave, the host said with a tear down his streak, down his cheek, thank you so much for the visit today and the fiery sermon. I'll be back in church next Sunday. See, we tend to live in a world which tries to say too much with too little. Consequently, if you listen, sometimes the best messages are left unsaid. Ones where we're left in a state of peace and stillness before our Father. And today I want to combine a little bit of what we've been learning in terms of worry and peace over the last couple weeks. And I want to bring in stillness to the conversation. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. If you'd like to open your Bibles and join me there. Chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father, as we continue in this series of rest, I pray that you would open up our hearts to this idea of stillness, that we can understand your truths, and that we can understand um, what you're calling for us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So over the next couple weeks, I'm going to speak on different events that happen in Jesus' life and ministry, Uh, things that show him dealing with rest in this topic and the surrounding terms that we've been covering. And if you still have your Bibles open, you can look up through chapter 4, and if you have the red letters in the Bible, you can see how much of this is teaching from Jesus. Right? So we can see that this has been a very full day for him in terms of teaching, uh, of going through and instructing people. Uh, so at the end of the day, he would be tired. We also see how this is a setting at the Sea of Galilee. Okay? This is where Jesus would preach a lot of times. He would do this teaching. Uh, many times he would just kind of stand in a boat, be pushed out into the water a little bit because the acoustics there um, were re- really good. His voice would bounce off of the waves. There's a lot of cliffs and high hills that were around him so that it would kind of come back and he would be able to speak to the large crowds in this way. Um, And as people continue to come to hear him teach, to hear his thoughts on things, they were realizing how much authority that he had. So they wanted to hear this voice. Um, Now, but the day is being over. Jesus needs a break. So they're going to go to the other side of the sea. 
Now, the Sea of Galilee is 21 kilometers long and 13 kilometers wide, which for us Americans is 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. So they would arrive, you know, sometime in the middle of the night or by the next morning. Now, and the way that the land forms around the Sea of Galilee, you have a lot of barren hills, you have some valleys, you have some gullies, which create this amazing wind tunnel that can come in. And when you get different wind tunnels that come in from different directions and they meet over the sea, it can kick up a storm out of nowhere to where in the middle of the sea, it could be very rough, but on the coasts, maybe a slight breeze. So these types of, uh, this type of environment would be very hard for people to traverse. You'd have to be pretty experienced. You think about the disciples, several of them were fishermen. You know, James and John had boats. It's believed that Peter was more of an onshore type of fisherman throwing nets into the water. But you had people that were familiar with boats. And if they're freaking out, you can tell that the storm is pretty bad especially as the boats are taking on water. And here you have Jesus fast asleep on a pillow. You can think, how can somebody sleep through this type of event? I mean, I don't know about you, but I am a light sleeper. Um, I envy those that can sleep through anything. I was always jealous of Elaine. Uh, As soon as her head hit the pillow, she could be out within three minutes. It's like, don't you have problems to think about? I mean, what are you doing with your life? But she could just do that, you know? Um, and, And here is Jesus doing something similar, seemingly unprecedented, you know? However, we do have another example of this that happens in the Bible, person of Jonah. You wanna do the next slide for me? In Jonah chapter one, verses four through six, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, O you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God will give us a thought or a thought to us that we may not perish. So when we look at this example, we can see some similarities. We can see some differences. You know, just pointing out the differences between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah is a runaway prophet. He's kind of a fugitive running from the call of God. Um, we can see how he is more of the source of this danger that is coming upon them. And it's been described he has more of a dead conscience, not really caring what's happening. He's just asleep because he's doing what he wants to do. Whereas with Jesus, he has more of a pure conscience as he's doing the will of the Father, and he ends up clearing the danger for the disciples. We also see some similarities between the responses of the other people that are involved. Uh, The captain crying out to the sleeper in order for him to cry out to his God in order that they might be saved. And then we see the disciples um, crying out to Jesus, in a way rebuking Jesus, because they think he doesn't care that they're going down. You know, it's more of a cry of distrust, of worry that's coming from them. And as we look at that type of reaction, I want to compare that to our own lives. Think back to perhaps times of uncertainty, times of tragedy, times of difficulty, 
What was our response like? I mean, there have been many prayers where I'm just crying out, oh God, because I don't know what to articulate. I don't know what to say, and I have the understanding that God knows what I need, and he can understand my prayer, and the Spirit can to take my groanings and make it intelligible. But in the same instance, I know there's many times where I'm crying out that same prayer, and it's mixed with anger. It's mixed with me blaming God. It's mixed with uh, misunderstandings. It's mixed with worry and fear. Because there's things that happen to us in our life where we might feel like the Lord has forsaken us, that he's not there, that he's not concerned with what's going on in our lives. And we react in ways that jump to conclusions, that are full of fear and worry. We can look at how on the sea these, these waves and this wind, they are turbulent, they are chaotic, just like in the disciples' reactions that they're currently facing, right? Then we look to our own lives, we see the chaotic nature, we see the turbulence in our lives, and we might think that we're about to drown. We think that we're in over our head in so many different areas in our lives, whether that's our marriages, parenting, work, finances, illnesses, politics, so many more areas and issues that we face. There are so many areas in our life where we can think it's too big. It's too, it's too much for God to handle because it's outside of our mental realm of comprehension. And we worry and we fear. But God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything was made through his word. We know that truth. But the problem that comes in is because we think we know how God should handle things. Because, of course, God should be on my side. He should do things the way that I want them to be done because glory to Pastor Kurt, right? That's what God is supposed to be about. By the word of God... Everything came into existence. And by Jesus' words, peace and be still, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. See, Jesus had no reason to fear the storm because he is the God-man. But did the disciples have reason to fear? I mean, the disciples thought that their life was in danger, that their life was going to be over, and they were afraid. Jesus asks, why were you so afraid? Do you think that they had good enough reason to fear? Think about some of those supernatural things, perhaps, in our lives that we could fear. We live in Iowa. Tornado season's coming in a couple of months. Do we fear when we see uh, a funnel cloud appear? different parts of the earth. You know, if you were to experience a sandstorm that was canvassing the whole area, would you think, ah, it's just Tuesday. Sinkholes, those are always fun, aren't they? You never know when they're going to pop up. You always think it's when you're driving down the highway and your car just falls forever. Worries. You know, thinking of seas and the ocean, there's plenty of videos of how ocean liners, huge ships, 
just are covered with water because of the waves. You think about how many ships are on the bottom of the oceans, how chaotic it can be. Speaking of ocean, do you ever think about what's under the ocean? Does that create some fears? Go ahead for the next one. You might not be able to see this as clearly, but one of the big fears that people have is arachnophobia, fears of spiders. And this tree is covered in spider webs. <laughs> one good yuck. <laughs> Go ahead. And then, of course, taken during the Depression, lunch on a skyscraper. Heights? Anybody afraid of heights? You know, they've tried to recreate this picture in modern times, and of course with OSHA you can see all of the straps hanging down because safety first, right? But to be able to sit there, eat a lunch, that many feet high in the air, crazy. Go ahead. We look at these pictures. Some of those pictures could be things that strike fear in you, that can bring about anxiety or worry in your life. You know, if you were actually present in those situations, are they enough reason for you to fear? Think back to the disciples. You think to the early church. You know, many early Christians faced persecution. They were thrown into the Colosseum to be fed to the lions. Do you think they feared? Maybe some. Think back into the, the book of Acts, and you, you see the, how the disciples are rejoicing at the fact that they were beaten for the sake of Christ, for his name. They weren't afraid of that type of persecution. Paul, who says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus says in Matthew 10, do not fear those who can kill the body, or who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, as Christians, we are to have a different mindset from what the world gives us. We're not to be resting in fear and worry. We're not to be contemplating all of these issues. We have to have an understanding that fear wipes out faith in strong ways. And again, as you kind of glance up there through Mark chapter 4, and you see some of these teachings that Jesus is giving. He's giving these explanations further to the disciples, so they're getting extra teaching that's bring, being brought out. Now, at this stage, they don't fully understand that Jesus is the Christ, nor do they understand what the Christ means. They won't understand that until after the resurrection, after the Spirit comes upon them. But they do know that he is a powerful man of God. They understand that he is sent from God and that he has taught them about having faith and about seeing and perceiving. And if they can understand who Jesus is, would they have the fears that they do currently? How does the fear that they show through the life of Christ when Christ is with them compared to their attitudes through the book of Acts. It's something interesting to ponder. Flip that question to yourself. Do you understand who Jesus is? As your Lord and Savior. Do we actually believe what we proclaim to profess? If we do, why would we worry and fear? 
How quickly do we forget the times of teaching when the times of testing come? You know, the why do we fear question. It's actually pretty simple. We live in a fallen and broken world. We're surrounded by people that break their word, break their promises. We get skeptical. We too have broken many promises and words. The reason why we fear is because of sin. The reason why we fear is because we are separated from the Father. Sin can bring in worry and fear. And if we're actively actively pursuing sin in our life, we're going to be living in that state of fear and worry, rather into a state of rest and peace. But let's put this to test in terms of what the Word of God says. So, do we trust in the Word of God? Do we trust what Jesus says? Let's break this down by using our passage. Jesus says, early in the passage, let us go across to the other side. So there should be no doubt that that's what would happen. There shouldn't be any fear if the word of God has spoken. The disciples should understand that that's what's going to happen. Now, we have the word of God. So as we're in the word, we we see his words, we see the teaching, we hear his words through prayer, and we understand what God says. So there should not be any fear surrounding what we see in the word. But again, fear comes in because things don't happen the way that we expect them to happen, the way that we want them to happen. And we begin to doubt the word of God because it's not happening in the way that I want to. And we begin to question God rather than our own interpretations, rather than our own perceptions, rather than our own expectations, we choose to question God. Because in reality, God is for us. God is to make our lives better. These are the thought processes that we can wrestle with. These are the the ways that we're living out our lives. The second thing we want to see within this passage is, where is Jesus? He's right there in the boat with them. He is present. It's not his time to die. It's not his time to sacrifice himself. His ministry is just starting. And again, maybe they don't fully understand what all of that means. But Jesus is right there with them through this crisis. Where is Jesus now? If you want to be technical, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. said that for you, Phil. But he is present with us, living with us, abiding with us through the Spirit. The things of this world may be difficult. They may be full of pain and grief and complicated decisions. But in the full scale of things, they pale in comparison to what's coming for eternity. And through all of the difficulties, through all the crises, through all the traumas that we face, Jesus is there with you to comfort you, to give you strength, to carry you as you need, to admonish you when you are wrong. So we are not to fear, at least in the ways that we normally do. 
See, after the raging storm ceases, they had a great fear. And this is an emphasized fear because it shows that their fear is because of the supernatural power. And you look at Jesus' commands here. He simply says, peace and be still. And the winds and the waves obey. As a parent, I would love to be able to say, peace and be still and have kids obey. What's your secret, Jesus? Why do the winds and the waves obey? Well, let's look at Scripture for that answer. You can go to the next slide, Paul. Turn over to Psalm 107 in your Bibles, please. I just have the first two verses up here for us, and I'll read these as you guys find that passage. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and the south. So this is a, a psalm of praise recognizing who God is. And it's let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So those that have been saved by the Lord. And it's, you know, it covers every direction. So all, every corner of the earth is being called to, to remember what the Lord has done for them. And it goes through different regions. It talks about the deserts. It talks about those that are afflicted. It talks about those that are in the shadows, in the, in the throes of death. But then we have a familiar scene that picks up in verse 23. Begins this way. Some went down to the sea in the ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depth. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. I love the word of God and all of the cross-references that we find in scriptures. To see the scene that happens with Jesus being explained in the Psalms. To be understood by the people from the Old Testament as well. And you, when you look at the exclamation of the disciples of who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him. He is the creator. So, of course, by his word, creation will listen. Creation knows who God is, and creation will exalt him. You think of when Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the Passover in the book of Luke. You have people that are worshiping and praising God, saying Hosanna, and all the Pharisees are like, hey, tell your disciples to knock it off. And Jesus says, look, even if they were silent, the rocks would still cry out. The rocks would praise me. Jesus is worthy to be praised. And their fear is one out of reverence at this man that's in front of them. And you know, when you look at what Jesus says, as he rebukes the wind and the waves, 
And then he kind of rebukes his disciples about their lack of faith and being afraid. I think that there are similarities. As the wind and the waves were chaotic, going all over the place, I think the disciples were just as frantic and turbulent. So I look at how Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and I see that it also serves as a rebuke to the disciples as well, for them to be at peace and to be still. Now, this precedence is also seen in Scripture. We read this this morning. I think this is on the next slide, Paul. Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, as life can be chaotic and fearful at times, we can easily wander over into worries and fears. But I've found at times, while it's good that we express those feelings as we express those fears and get them out, that we also need to be still and know that he is God, to know that he is peace, that he is where we go to find our rest. And in my walk, there are times where I am just fuming mad, where I just, I sit with a grumpy attitude. You know, two of the prophets that I resonate the most with are Jeremiah and Jonah. I love the book of Jonah, but I see so many similarities to my own life. To where he sits in chapter 4 just angry at God's mercy. Like, who are you, God, to, to, to be merciful to these people that I want wiped out? When I think about that type of attitude... I fight God. I complain, I grumble, I worry, I fear. Through those times, God shows me his way is the truth. And I know that it's the truth. But I have a choice to make. I could continue to sit there in a grumpy attitude. I could continue to sit there in fear. Or I can grow my faith and listen to what the Lord has said. And I can obey what he has said. I could continue stewing in despair and fear, frantically desiring different results than what's currently in front of me, or I can give thanks to God for the day that he has given me, being thankful that he is patient, that he has not forsaken me, and that he continues to be right there with me in the boat. At times, we continue to try and save ourselves by trying to bucket some water out as fast as we can. But God calls us to be still, to have faith in his goodness and his word because he is God. And if you think about your own situation right now, life might be beating you over the head. Things are a mess and you might not know where to turn. If that's you this morning, I would love to have the chance to pray with you. But today I want to take a moment and I want us to be still. I want us to try and understand his peace and experience his rest. So as we close today, I want us to be silent before the Lord. Try to clear any thoughts of that you have of where you need to be and what needs to happen next. And instead, just close your eyes. Rest before the Lord.
Father, it feels so unnatural and uncomfortable to just be still, to do nothing, to not be concerned with the things of this life, our schedules, our conflicts, our traumas. In these brief moments that we attempt a spiritual discipline are, are not enough compared to what you call for us. Lord, this morning I pray for hearts of confession. confess those times that we are filled with worry and fear where we're not trusting in you where we're doing things the way that we want to do them because we know best Lord it is not an attitude of lordship at all it's not one of humility it's not one that you call for in your word. Lord, I pray that our souls can thirst for you because you are our refuge. You are our strong tower. You are our help. I mean, we see these things in your word, we know these things, but how often do we actually go to you, Lord, until it's way too late. Father, I pray that we can instill rhythms of stillness and rest in our lives to where we rest in your word because it is your word. We wait patiently on you because it is your timing and not our own. And as different distractions and events happen in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to treat them as opportunities to show your grace and your love, to show your truth in situations where your truth needs to be expressed. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Make us perceiving of your spirit. Allow us to spend time in deep contemplation this week, to meditate on your law, to meditate on, on your word, so that we might walk in a way worthy of the calling that you have given each of us as believers to advance your kingdom forward to be your ambassadors to a lost world that is dark and hurting to a world that is filled with fear and worry Lord the church is supposed to look different it is not supposed to look just like the world 
Allow us to rest in your grace, in your mercy, in your compassion. Allow us to receive forgiveness and to forgive those that have wronged us. Lord, we hold on to so much bitterness and hate. We hold on to so many worries and fears because we think that we can control things. Allow us to be still. Allow your peace to lead and guide us. Father, for those of us that are struggling with deep wounds, I pray for comfort and healing. I pray for us to understand your presence, that you're right there in the boat with us. And that as we cry out to you, you will respond. Father, I pray for protection against the enemy's attacks. The enemy seeks to devour, to steal, to separate us from you. We know that in your word. Yet how often are we putting on the armor of God? How often do we listen to his lies and go along with him? How often do we question your lordship? Father, I pray that as believers you would continue to sanctify us to make us into the image of your son, that we would see some good results this week, results of growth, of obedience, of trusting in your word. Lord, we pray, we praise you for the salvation that we have received the salvation that is offered. And Lord, allow us to lean in closer to that with humility, understanding the joy that we are called sons and daughters of God. Compared to that, Lord, the worries and the cares of this world fade away. Lord, I lift this body to you today. You know where each one is struggling. And I pray that your spirit would be convicting them even now to come to your feet. 
praise your holy and precious name, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.